Good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Black Cauldron. We are on episode 21, ladies, and we're still in pandemic. We're still like, oh, wow. But I don't know. <laughs> this world, this world. Whew. Oh, Lord. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if I'm living in Harry Potter. I just want, if someone brings out one, I'm like, okay, it's over. It's over. <laughs> I think that's about it, right? We don't have wands. I think that's just about the only thing that is difficult to separate. I feel I mean, like if someone brings out a wand, we might be saved. <laughs> <laughs> if they know, if, if, if listen, if they um, know how to use it and use it for good, right? We're all for it, right? We're, we're taking any donations of good strategy or something. Anything. Anything. So, welcome to another exciting episode. We are finally getting into book seven, ladies. I mean, oh, man. this is episode 21. 21. Episode 21, and we've got seven books. How does that even books. happen? <laughs> I know, which means that we've been talking for like, this is going to be our 22nd our week, basically, because I, there was one week that we missed. But we, we record one episode per week. I thought we would have tried to like put a book in a week like we caught several days but no we just simmer we are letting these books do and simmer this is like We're a stirring slow... the cauldron this is a slow slow cauldron. this is one of those potions that that you have to wait until the fortnight to add something and then another fortnight <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it comes to analogy. maturation at the full exactly. moon in the third month <laughs> this is like the matrix we are growing uh-huh. mandrakes exactly <laughs> During the witching hour of the... And we're almost teenagers. (laughs) Almost. Get rid of the acne. Oh my goodness. Before I go any further, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses, these wonderful ladies. I am nothing without these women. We have Professor Deb. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a rough week and especially the last 24 hours. So... You know, hanging in there, looking to looking forward to having the distraction of talking about another world. Yes, you know, one of we, we feel that we might have some sort of control over. Exactly. I could just shut the book and get away from it. How are you, Janina, from far in Ohio? I'm okay. Um, you know, this is my favorite time of year, but I feel like I don't get to to be a Christmas enjoy day, it. Ooh, that should be out soon next month, um, but not yet. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wonder if COVID's going to affect the production That's of about that. Glasses. God, <laughs> ooh, it better not. It better not. I'm going to need that, especially given the recent events of the last 24 hours. I'm going to really, really, really need that. But you know, I'm mostly good, enjoying the enjoying the crisp, cool weather. Oh yeah, the weather has changed, and you know. So, you know, I'm sort of looking forward to hope no one steals it. I, I had to buy a new comforter. And a friend put me on to this one that's made out of camel wool. And mm. I was like, what? And I got to feel what it felt like. And my God, it is amazing. I've never even like, heard of such a thing. I want right, to come over it, for a slumber party. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> it, it's popular in Russia, uh, China. That's usually where the customers come. But they had a shipment in, and my friend said, you know, oh, he's Russian. So he's like, I'm looking. I looked it up. You know, I wanted to remember my childhood. And the guy who there's a distributor in Virginia, and he said, oh, yes, mostly people from Russia. It's popular and Americans are not used to it. I'm just like, well, the price looks right, so I will take it. <laughs> 
Oh. I feel like you are going to be hot. Actually, no. I, I actually picked it up and felt it. And it, for me, it's just that my room is either it's very hot or it's very cold. Huh. So, you know, I'm one of those people who, you know, I don't need to be on that blanket no matter if it's like the heater is on. So I just needed to be. I think it was fine. And plus, it looked very durable, which is what I wanted to be. Yeah. And when you have the um, the fake ones, it's difficult to wash it. Mm-hmm. And it's best if you get a duvet cover. So that's what I opted to do. And I found a really cheap duvet on Amazon. So well, look at you. Look at me being an adult. And listen to me. Bedding is expensive. <laughs> it I is. I did not know as a child. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Have to wait for sales. This is why I was like, why is everyone getting so excited about mattresses and sleepwear and whatever? And then I was an adult, just like, oh, <laughs> this is precisely why. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. So it's mean, a personal weakness of mine. Betting. Uh huh. <laughs> You're a snob that likes, you know, twelve hundred. Like, so. I'm afraid so. And I, and I discovered the Vermont country store, which was not a good thing. So. <laughs> and it makes a difference, though. It really does make a difference. I mean, mm-hmm. like, microfiber is trash. Just putting it out there. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, didn't trash. I send you microfiber sheets? No. It's, what are you trying uh, to say, perf- bitch? No, it's perfect. To, <laughs> it's not perfect to sleep it on when it's, like, winter time. It, no, that doesn't make any sense. But actually, that really works well for my futon, honestly. So I love it. It oh, works okay. well for my futon. So let's get into the book. So Janina did the agenda this week. So if anything goes messy, you know, blame Janina, <laughs> our audio specialist. But <laughs> you get such pleasure from trying to throw me under the bus all the time. You know what? I got you. You make me sound so well anyway. So, I mean. <laughs> but look out, fans. If there's an episode where you don't hear me at all, I was there. Janina just, you know. <laughs> Deleted me. Edit you out. So Janina put up on her agenda this week. She thought it was rather interesting. She said, you know, personal reflection and you know, anticipation of the final book. And I thought that was interesting because I didn't even think about that, you know. You didn't? No, I didn't think about that when we we're thinking about like as we we're doing it, just like what's the realization when you think about this is going to be the final Harry Potter book? This is it. Mm-hmm. Everything that is everything will be wrapped up. People would die. People would live. What happens? I think the only thing you would love to believe is that, well, Voldemort might die this time around, right? But you never know. But J.K. Oh, Rowling, all, all of Voldemort might die. Right. All of it might die. Just a piece here and a piece there. But I knew in my anticipation, I would say I was trying to figure out um, how the whole cruxes would work, like where there would be, what it would be like places that we had seen, etc. Because in many ways, like I said, you had long figured out that nothing has ever randomly been mentioned by J.K. Rowe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like more than likely it would have there would have to be in places that we had seen and we had known that it couldn't have been as random as Voldem as Dumbledore would have thought. And I was thinking that it's clear that Dumbledore had put a lot of thought into this. And we had to approach it differently than how Dumbledore was thinking. I think the hardest one would have been the cave. 
that would have been the most difficult thing to find, and we've already found that. And I knew about the locket. I just think we had to go find back. We had to go back to Gremmel Place in some ways. And that's about it. Whatever the other one was going to be the last one was a mystery. I know where Nagini was. But I kept thinking, where would a man like Voldemort hide something? You know, and clearly since we knew the ring was in the shack, I thought, you know, the school might have been a place. But the school couldn't have been all of the places. But mm-hmm. that's so as far I, as I got. I didn't think about any of those things, honestly. I wanted to know, well, I thought I, I considered, like, who's going to live, who's going to die. I was 100% prepared for Harry to die because I felt like someone always dies and it's someone you don't want to die. So why, after all this time, is this going to be a happy ending, so to speak? So I was prepared for that. Um, I didn't. I didn't care so much about the Horcruxes as like you did. Like, where are they? What are they? Um, I was, gosh, I was still so centered on Snape. I was like, I have to know. There has to be more. What is he going to do? Where is he? You know, who is he truly? Because I know he's horrible and he's evil and all of the things. And I wanted that to be... Um, I wanted vindication for my feelings and yeah, they came, but certainly not how I expected. Um, I, yeah, but I, the details of it and like how it was all going to be done. I I wasn't, I really, I remember I wasn't focused on that. I just, I was like, who's going to die and what's going to happen to let me know that Snape really is like the biggest asshole. And I expected a revelation of about Dumbledore in some way, um about how we all got it wrong i expected him to be bad in some way i really did i i think one of the things that i remember about the anticipation not just my anticipation but but as we got closer to the publication of the book was all the discussion about um whether or not harry was going to survive or if if one of the others um Hermione or Ron was going to be sacrificed. That was a big part of the discussion in the lead up to the publication date. I was just really interested in how it was going to all play out. I was not prepared for it to be Harry that would be sacrificed, but I think I was prepared after, especially after book six, that other major characters could die. Um, so that was what, you know, I was prepared, I think, for that in a way. But I think I was also interested in how that, like you, Janina, how was this mystery about who Snape was? Did Snape, because I was convinced that there, that Dumbledore was, was never going to plead for his life, as we talked about in the last episode. But how is this whole thing going to have played out? How is it going to be resolved that, um, Snape is still, you know, a part of the main characters without having turned villain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in that. I did not go to a midnight um, party. I went to the bookstore the moment it opened the first day after that. Mm-hmm. And I was in my room all day, literally. I read that book all day long. <laughs> you know, and I remember it must have come out like on a Friday night, and then we mm-hmm. were, you know, it was Saturday morning, 
And I think I just, you know, was in the room, came out for meals or whatever. And I, for some reason, I wanted just to be in my room with it. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be in the living room. I didn't want to be anywhere else. I just wanted to be, you know, curled up on my bed um, reading the final episode. And because it had been such a big part of my life. I had, you know, I've been to so many conferences. I had been waiting for this moment. We had debated. You guys don't know. I had been online with this book with these books forever for various fan sites. I mean, speculation for years before we got to the final chapter as to how different things would be resolved and who stood for what. So this had been a long, long time coming as far as I was concerned. So those were the things that kind of stuck with me. And I remembered when you asked us to reflect on, you know, our lead up to, you know, getting the book for the first time. I just remembered that I actually read a fake book. I read a fake final book. I did too. Um, what? I stopped. Yeah. I stopped. It was out. It Something got leaked online and it was and so different. Said, we should actually I, read it. I still have it. You still have it? Yes. I don't know where it is. I, I have it on my, my I have it on my first generation nook. <laughs> and I read the whole thing. I didn't stop reading. I read the whole thing. I was just like, Jackie Rowling did not write this. This is trash, and I would hate to think that this is someone trying to. If, if, if this is what she sends up here, I'm gonna drive until <laughs> I kick them out. It was garbage. I mean, it tried it was to wild. Say, it tried to, one of the things that they what they did was that they tried to approach it like how we were like I approached it going back into the other books and looking for clues and statements that were said. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that they did was that when Dumbledore said to, in the sixth book, when Dumbledore meet the Dursleys and Dumbledore said something about um, Dudley and said, unlike that horrible, um, horrible, oh my God, the circumstances you put Dudley into, some, some, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And the Vernon and Petrina had looked around and been like, who you are talking about? You ain't talking about that as, that they took that to mean that, that Petunia had gone to Dumbledore and ask him to remove magic from Dudley. That Dudley was also magic, magical, a wizard, yeah, a wizard, and that they had tried to do that. They had something in the end where Snape—I don't remember if they made Snape good or bad, or like a double agent. In fact, that's what he was uh, trying to be so good. But they had something where some dogs attack. It was really, it was wild. Like a lot of things was like all over. I don't remember. They, they they did go about finding the Horcruxes that you would imagine, but I don't remember where they found them. But there was some silly scene in the end where someone was hiding behind a, dog, a, a rock or something. And I was like, oh, this was... It, you could see it was really amateurish. But I was like, hmm, let's read it to see what happened, to see if someone else was thinking some of the things that I thought about. Oh, I, did, I felt... I, I had felt like I got like lucky. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe oh, I have I this. I like I I'm gonna I read this. And then when when I got to the part about Dudley possibly being a wizard, I was like, oh no, 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 this is fake. And I stopped. I didn't keep going. <laughs> I was just like, no, I'm not I'm not. I doing went this. all the way. I went all the way. But Voldemort did die in the end. They did say that he attempted to kill Harry. He did kill Harry in some ways, but some um, hocus pocus in the end made Harry back. I think to a certain extent they had the fact that Harry was a Horcrux, but I might be getting the details wrong. But I knew it was it was poorly written. You could see errors, construction, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and I was very skeptical from the souls who mentioned it about me. I'm just like, if you're in circles, which is getting this, I know this. I mean, I was classic <laughs> of me, but I mean, it can't be real. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, you mentioned something, Janina, that I, I did think about Snape. But like I said, I don't know. I'm trying to make sure I didn't, I'm not making this up or like inserting a memory in my head that wasn't there at the time. But I am. I was very sure, I know for a fact, that I was convinced that Snape wasn't um, right. That Snape wasn't, there was something more more to Snape than we really would think. That I don't think Snape would openly commit murder at school like that. What I, what I did knew just before, uh, sometime before I go into, because I made, like I said, I thought Dumbledore didn't die. I thought, oh, he's going to come back with the seventh book. Like, you know, Merlin don't really die. Merlin resurrect can come back in some capacity. Um, but when she mentioned that to me, I was like, oh, well, I guess that part is really, really true. But right. I, uh, right. That, that, you know, that, and she told me why. And that's why I knew that I had to think of it differently. Because she said, I said, oh, I see what she was doing. She had to remove everyone from Harry. Like, you know, like the Sirius, the parents, and Dumbledore. So I figured if anyone was going to die, it would have been Ron. Mm-hmm. I thought Ron would have been the one to die for anything. And I was kind of right because she said she said something along those lines that she was battering. She was making these decisions about who would die and who would live kind of thing. And she decided if certain persons lived, this person couldn't die, that kind of thing. But I right. think Ron was on the chopping block for sure. And um, I thought he would have been the one. He would be, if anyone is to die, it would be him. And Did you I think I understand? I understood that in the fifth book, Mr. Weasley died originally, and she went back and changed it so that he was just seriously injured. And then from that point on, it was like, well, somebody else is going to have to, you know, right. I think she, she meant she said for her doing that why he didn't die she said that um it's because she didn't want him to be like harry something along that line she didn't want him to carry that burden along as harry did mm-hmm. and i was just like girl why there are just some things you know um i have to say janine i was trying to tell you what it was that Junior and I were talking as always. I was trying to explain what it is about why I enjoy reading the book as opposed to listening to the book more often, in particular these books. Reading the book, for me, my emotions are kept better in check, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and to a certain extent, in the emotional part, when I'm reading the book, I get tears come out my eye. When I read this book, tears did come out my eye, and then I read it in the one day like you did. But listening to the book I get more upset at certain parts because it's just enraged hearing these people talk yeah (laughs) that's true I mean that's one of the differences between I mean when we read we automatically um subconsciously we put some barriers between ourselves and the story as we are as we're processing the print but those barriers are broken down when we either view something or when we hear it um, when those senses are involved. So I think that's true. And I think that's, um, that's very much, I've had the experience of um, listening to, I remember listening to a book 
And um, the, the character was really kind of um, developmentally disabled. And it was, he had such a good heart. And the reason he was that way was because his mother had been a, a substance abuser when she was pregnant with him. And when I realized where the story was going, that he was not going to survive, I couldn't listen anymore mm -hmm. because I had become so sympathetic to that little boy that I had to finish it. And I went and found the book and read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I could put some distance between myself and that story when I was reading it. But when it was coming into my head like that, you know, on to the, through my ears, I didn't have any protections against it. Yeah, it's Against different. the way it was making me feel. So, certain, yeah, I hear you about that. But certain parts, though, certain parts I can read, be fine with. And certain parts I can read and cannot read it. It's just like it's too emotional. Yeah. yeah. Um, particularly, I think, in the latter stages of the book. When they're at the school again for the final time. Right. There's right. certain parts in when I think after the break out of um, Gringotts, when it gets really like there's certain poignant moments that come up, whatever the case may be. And it's like I can't. I can't read this. I have to listen to this. But I, I don't know. But sometimes it's just like Harry in particular. Who? It's easier for me to read Harry than listen to Harry in this book. That's really well, what it is. Harry's voice. Yeah. Harry's voice is whiny in the book or in the audiobooks. More, I. The way Jim Dale portrays him is is way more whiny than I would have put it in my head when I when I read the books. He can be whiny in moments, but I feel like the overall sound of Harry's voice when you're listening to it is very whiny. And I and think... I had when I, I don't want to get too far ahead in terms of the the chronology of the book, but I really was was enjoyed listening to Harry's that whole piece from the time Harry listens to Snape's memory until he confronts Voldemort that is a powerful powerful listening experience for me I think that we're probably going to spend a lot of time there <laughs> I just thought and I I really really it got to me. I mean, I just, I just like one feel... of those, like, I'm going to do the ugly cry right here. Right. So, um, but I yeah. had the ugly cry after that, actually. When he meets Neville. That's when I had the ugly cry. Shit, I oh. probably had the ugly cry. Listen, when this book came out, I was pregnant. My emotions oh, were my all goodness. over the place. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was ugly crying when Hedwood died. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's not let's be, be going. Well, hold on. No. I wanna I wanna do I do want to share something because oh, okay. I I haven't touched this book since I read it last. I have my original book with me. The other books I had given away until, but I think my seventh book is is really my last book. I know that I had more than one of these because as we've discussed before, I took these books everywhere with me when I was reading them so that I could read them at any free moment that I had. If I went somewhere and I didn't take my book and it was available to buy, I bought another one. I think at one time I had three of these um, Deathly Hallow copies, but I always kept the one I bought first. And in it is my bookmark that came with it. I, I did go to a midnight buying. I didn't go to a bookstore because, well, I went with my sister and I went with my aunt and um, 
there was a Walmart across the street from the mall and the, the bookstore that was in the mall was like facing the area where Walmart was. So we were going to decide where to go because we didn't go super early. We didn't, you know, go hang out at like eight, nine o'clock or anything. I think we went at like 11 to get in line because again, I'm pregnant and tired and, um, and I wanted it that night, but I wasn't that interested in standing in line. So we, we go to the location and kind of waited to decide where we were going to go to look to see how many people were where. We picked Walmart. There weren't a lot of people there. I do remember it was cool. They had tables set up outside and they were giving away Potter merchandise as you went in. And one of the things they gave was a bookmark. And my original bookmark is still in my book that I bought that night at Walmart. And it says it was July 21st of 2007, you guys. 13 years ago. <laughs> That's amazing. I just graduated <laughs> college, actually. I was 29, pregnant, and uh, I, I, I did, I, you know, I didn't read it. I know people stayed up all night and they read it until they, I wanted to go slow because I didn't want to be over. I remember feeling sad when I got that book. Like, I was excited to have it. I wanted to know what was going to happen, but I felt a serious sense of sadness because we had spent so much time on this and it was about to end. Yeah. It was emotional yeah. and I was pregnant. <laughs> I, I, um, my, my, you talked about the ugly cry when Hedwig died. My, my daughter, who was also my partner in, in all things, Harry reading Harry Potter at the time, <laughs> And she was, she hadn't gotten over Dobby being killed. She was like, why you got to go mess with little insignificant people like yeah, Dobby? Yeah, I, like, the funeral, the funeral, the Dobby? funeral, yeah. So, mm. Right, so, so she, when Hedwig, when she said, you know what, mm. I just think, you know, something you can leave alone. You don't have to mess with Hedwig. And no. I said, oh, you know. Hedwig, Dobby. I understood. I was mad. I was just like, well, first and foremost, I... When that was happening, I was just like, what the f is happening? What? What do you mean 20 <laughs> dead out of... Wait, 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 wait. Like, I'm just like, but anyway, that whole scene frustrated me. No, but whew, whenever there's magical battle, you know how I get about these things. But Right, right. Um, Something I was going to say, I think I bought my book in a pharmacy. I did. Because I knew I was not going to be messing around these white children. Can make a scene and parents find to say... Go to a pharmacy, and there it was, available, mm -hmm. brand new, picked up a copy. And I think that is the copy I have. The others, I remember I gave my sister the sixth book. Um, the fifth book, I gave it away. I was so mad when I read that. And then there's a bookstore <laughs> here that sells these books, um, I think, like $8 a copy then. And then, then they, I think they got repop more popular as the movies were coming out and more and more. So they tried to jack the prices up, but I already bought back the whole set. Um, so I have a whole set here. And plus, I think the only thing I'm going to rebuy again is the illustrated copy. I see they've tried to make them, they've done different publications to make them look more adultish. Yeah, yeah, when actually they always did. There were back in the day, um, the the in particularly in the British versions, there were two two covers. There was an adult cover and there was a kids cover. Mm. And I have um, I have the adult cover one for the fifth book because we were in Toronto. The American Library Association conference that year was in Toronto. 
and some folks were going to a party or they were going to a, a midnight release and someone said, oh, you want me to get you a book? Because I had I couldn't go. I had another event. And so the one they brought me back was the adult version. So um, I do have an, a, one with the adult copy. So they've done that since the beginning, um, the where they've had the two covers in the British versions, not in the American versions. Interesting. I only wish the woman who drew for these the covers, she would do, she too would do illustrated copy. Oh, you mean uh, Grand Prix? Grand Prix? Yeah, M- Mary Grand Prix or something. Grand right. Because yeah. they I chose wish she... someone else to do the illustrated ones. Right. Right. But she they're has a really... different style than the guy they chose. Right. He does more um, realistic version, I guess. Would say. Yes, and it's more minimalistic. And his, right. His is very lush. His and is in detail, the tradition. Yeah. It's in the tradition of um, the N.C. Wyeth. The um, you know if you saw the N.C. Wyeth books that used to do with King Arthur and oh, with, okay, okay. they used to do the 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 um, oh shoot Treasure Island you know he did those class illustrated classics and um, so I think that's what his his work is more in that tradition. The um, the the illustrated version reminds me of my childhood mm-hmm. because when I used to go to the library my father used to take us there was only one public library and that was in the capital and we didn't live there um i would try to get the biggest thickest book i can find in children's section and then when i went to high school i lied and said i was 15 so i didn't get three tickets to borrow three books <laughs> <laughs> i was like don't i look 15 to you but this is an idea i had to have been like 12 or 13 and I told my friend, I'm just like, you can lie. Just go there and lie. We're the same height. If they believe me, they'll believe you for sure. Right, right. Like I, oh. <laughs> but I remember those books. We used to get those those books. And like I said, most of the books we got were like from British television, British yeah. literature books, children lit. So they always had those big lush pages and mm-hmm. pretty and design. But, you know, let's get into this book, the final book, the final chapter. Mm. Uh, there are canon, but we we only believe that this is the canon, okay? There are different interpretations, but the canon is the seventh book, not the movies, not ever whatever trash you want to say. <laughs> but I do find it interesting. There were several things in this book. I can't wait for us to discuss it. I know Janine is going to say I'm crazy, but I can't wait. So uh, Janina, in her, Janina is re-listening to this. I am rereading this. And there is, for the first time ever, she decided to put an epigraph. She put two, I guess. An epigraph is a literary inspiration. Uh, it could be a poem. It could be a line, a quotation, or anything. Generally, it's written down a line from a song, lyric, something that you sort of put in front of the beginning of a book or a piece to sort of say this is the inspiration to a certain sense or draw um, line from it. One of the famous, I can't remember, I never remember the, the poem, but it came from, but um, Chinuwaza Chebi's Things Fall Apart is from a line. He takes that name of the book from a line from a poem before, I think, turning and turning. The world, things fall apart, the world is not whole. Something along those lines. I'm messing that up altogether, but <laughs> it happens a lot in literature. And this is the first time I've been on. Six, seven books that she decides to do this 
Um, it says, she takes this from the libation bearers. This is written by one of those Greek philosophers, writers, um, like Homer, if I'm not mistaken. Like Homer was a writer, right? Anyway. Yes. But Homer so, was more the epic poets. This is like Aeschylus was more like a poet and playwright. Right, Deb. Oh yes, Deb, I forget you're a classic. <laughs> um, Deb did this in school. Deb so. knows all the things. Just exactly. put it out there. No, <laughs> exactly. Not really. Like, oh, She's the being com- modest. Deb. Not to say Deb is from a. Crazy. Not to, say, not to say Deb is old, but um. right. That's, but but Deb is from a time when people thought that these were things that everybody needed to know. You know, like I remember my teachers back in school be like, "We did Latin. Oh, okay, cute, but <laughs> it's dead." So, you know, and what what they did instead of teaching us Latin, they gave us all these. Um, just give us a book of Greek and Rome mythology. <laughs> so read it on your own, kids. So here we go. <laughs> Oh the torment oh the torment bred in the race, the grinding scream of death and the stroke that hits the vein, the hemorrhage none can staunch, the grief, the curse no man can bear. But there is a cure in the house, and not outside it, no, not from others, but from them. Their bloody strife. We sing to you, dark gods beneath the earth. Now here, you blissful powers on the underground. Answer the call. Send help. Bless the children. Give them triumph now. This is from Achilles, the libation bearers. And the other one is from William Penn, More Fruits of Solitude. No, this libation bearers, I, this is a translation from Greek, if I'm not mistaken. So yes. there probably will be different interpretation. But you know what? Uh, before, before you move on to the second one, this is so interesting because they're so different in right. the tone. In their tone, you know, usually you don't see that big a difference. If you have two quotes as part of an epigram, they're usually kind of complement each other. And I guess in a way these do, but they're so different because the this one is very dark. The it's very it, it's much more. It makes you think about the Battle of Hogwarts. You know what I mean? Right. Um. And there will so, be blood. There will be fighting. That's there right. Will. And, and it's all about bless the children, because as we've talked over and over again, this has been a, this, these children are fighting a war that the adults have basically shrugged their shoulders and thrown up their hands and, and allowed it to, as I just allowed it to get to this point. And I think that that's why this, um, this particular epigraph really does work um, well to set the tone for this book. Um, can I tell you, I'm not sure that I ever read this. Well, I know most people probably didn't. They're just like, I think hmm, I skipped it, honestly. One. Most people yes, skipped the epigrams. Yes, most I don't think I read this. You're talking to somebody who, who reads every back matter in every book that they read. <laughs> yeah, so. I honestly don't think well, I ever touched this. I think I skipped right over it. I, this is not familiar to me at all. And like we were talking before we started recording, when Reels and I were having a conversation outside of the podcast, I'm like, what is he talking about? This is not what it, I'm like, okay, I need to, I'm like, I got to go moment. find this because <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm sure that it's there because he's talking a lot about it. It's not part of my audiobook, which is interesting that we just realized it's not part of mine, but it is part of the audiobook that Reels has. So, I mean, because I've, I've listened to this 
since we started doing this podcast, I think I am on my third listen of Deathly Hollows, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> it is not there. So I pull out my book today, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, that's what he's talking about. I and as we're talking about it now, I really don't think I've ever read this ever. But you would see if you think about this particular one, it it has so many clues to what. Oh was, yeah, yeah. And there is a cure in the house. And not outside it. No, not from others, but from them. Their bloody strife. We sing to you that God's beneath the earth. Now here, you blissful powers underground, answer the call. Send help. Bless the children. Give them triumph. This is powerful. Mm-hmm. I think so, but she forget that she's, she's her audience was mainly children or children who have grown up who are still thinking like children. This is for the college edition. <laughs> this is for the master's class. Well, this is for people like us that are discussing it 13 years later. But, but, but <laughs> think about it. But think about it, guys. Like, you know, when you think about it, if you were um, 11 or 12 when these books started, right? Mm-hmm. In, the, in, in 1997, 98? Yeah. Around there. And then by the time you get to this point, because I knew a lot of, not of young people who read this book who were college age. Um, I had some, some friends who live in Nashville. Their kids were college age. They were kids were adults, young adults, you know, younger, um, like in their 20s. That's who this book really resonated with because that was their entire adolescence mm-hmm. was reading those books and waiting for a new one to come out and going and dressing up and going. So by this point, they have an investment in this story and it's a different kind of investment than either i might have who liked who loved the books but i was an adult reading them from the very beginning so i think yeah i think it is for a a more mature reader these both of these epigrams but i think you when you think about who her audience had been up until that point yeah that's this this would fit but i think the children who grew up who became adults by the time this book came out they're still holding on to these books because they haven't put them away, right? They haven't been like, oh, I read it when the other one came in. No, they're still holding back to their innocence and childhood of this thing. But I think what I got from these two when we get to the second one is that it's what I suspected was happening in the fifth book. She was she wanted to take these books into a different, completely different direction. She was heading for a dark place. or She had to go into a dark place to get some of these moments and then pull herself back out and be like, nope, too much, too much. So I think because if this is her inspiration that she's pulling from here, this is literally talking about war. This is talking about revenge. Mm -hmm. And the second one is clearly speaking about death, people dying. Like this is the, this is that and grieving. Mm -hmm. This This is, yes. And in many ways we have seen these things in these books, but there have been no actual, there was no funeral. There was no um, Cedric's body came back. The parents took it. We just had a drink for Cedric, and that's it. No one, Dumbledore was encased in a white tomb. People left and went home. It's that same thing that Hermione, same experience Hermione explained that why people in book five, when they were in the fifth year, why everyone is still looking trepidatious at Harry. She's just like, but you don't seem to understand. You brought back a dead body. We all went home. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore said some words, and that's it. Mm-hmm. 
So there has been no, throughout this whole book, we've never grieved. We've never had a full account of, there's an actual war going on. The war just seems kind of philosophical in some many ways, more than it was physical, right? Voldemort is doing Voldemort kind of thing. But here she's trying to get, she's trying to get at, there will be bloodshed, there will be bloodshed that we will be seeing. This is not going to Dumbledore disappear though off of a um off of a rampart, right? So his body mm-hmm. in many ways Snape could have just pushed Dumbledore, right? And that would have been fine. And Dumbledore could have jumped off. So it, so I think she this was kind of a dark place. Something else that I noticed within this book that I just never realized happened. That Harry had been in the magical world for six plus years now. And no one ever thought to say, Harry, you want to go see a parent's grave? No one, right. not even him, not right. even him had suggested, let me see the grave of the people that I thought was in a car accident and turn <laughs> out that this was much more than that. Like no one even thought that. And I'm just like, this is a messed up bullshit. But, but I think that the, the time, think about his, the age that he, when he goes, that's probably the age when he could put it into some context. I think that would have been the worst thing in the world to take a tw- 11-year-old to Godric's Hollow. You think so? Oh, I do. I do. Especially after we see what it's like when they get there. Exactly. And how the the pieces come alive when you're magical and you see things that and other people don't. you see the destruction. You see that they left it. They left the house like it had been. And so I think that would have been a really traumatic experience. You know, let's look at poor Prince Harry. I think that when you take a kid to something, um, when they're too young for it, or or you just you just present it. If you don't present it with some kind of care, um, and that's, we've already established that these are not the most careful people emotionally, um, that could have been a, done a lot as much damage as. But he went when he was ready. And I think that was why it it would serve it served as a source of strength for him, mm-hmm. as opposed to adding to the trauma. But he, but but he went when he was ready. But actually, was he ready for that? He went there for some other thing. No, he no, did, but I, he, no, yeah, he, but he, he wanted he, to see he his. I know he wanted to see. He wanted to see because again, he felt. But there is something else at play here. Is that no one ever sat, sat down with Harry because remember at age eleven turning 11 or turning 12, Harry got a major shock that the people who he was grieving died in a car accident and their bodies were dismembered and just couldn't find whatever case to be. Turned out they were murdered. Right. Right. And he got this message from Hagrid, who's not really careful with information. Which is, I rest my case. And no one, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but I'm saying it's just that upon this realization and all of this pit, like, I can. I guess it's probably boils down to what we said, right? These magical people don't care about feelings. But uh, you know what? You have to. But you have to also not, consider that's not everyone's forte. I don't go to cemeteries. I don't. I'm. I know some people think that's really weird. Some people find solace in going to a cemetery. But the cemeteries that you would have gone to, the people that you would go to see in a cemetery, you have already properly grieved these people. You had a mourning period. You had a, a funeral or something of that sort. Right. When in today's world, when we see this, this is going to play out in many respects 
Yep, we're going to have some we're going to have some delayed reaction. Delayed to reaction. People not but... being fully able to go through the processes that we have built up in our society for grief. Especially and the fact be... that that's been removed, just snatched away. Um, we're going to have some delayed reaction from that. Particularly when these people, particularly those people who went to a hospital, went to the hospital mm-hmm. and you never see them again and you were told they're in a mat grave somewhere. And some island here, like we have here, Potter's Island, here in New York. People who were buried in mass graves. And this is not just in the United States. This is in Mexico. This mm-hmm. is in um, Ecuador. This is in Brazil. This is in Iran. So this was one of the things that I thought that it was very... That no one ever suggested this to Harry. Or even asked him. Or even said, when you are ready, when you think you would be ready. Particularly since everyone don't think twice of constantly reminding this child that That's he right. is his parents' product. Was it Snape saying you are your father's son to the nth degree? And, you know, everyone say you look like your mother. No one. Just no one. And this is where I'm just like, Dumbledore, mm, God damn. Well, Before remember, just... remember that's and now. Listen, you're having the same reaction Harry had when he realized that Dumbledore was from Godric's Hollow, too. Mm-hmm. Now we'll get and when we when we finally just start working through the chapters. Right. He had the exact same reaction. You never told me we were from the same place. I just didn't you, think that was important, never, honestly. You but, never, I mean, I you get never it. told me that you know you had had family in the same town where I had been. Uh, Harry, remember Harry has a hard time with that. Yeah, but Harry he has doesn't... a hard time. That's part of that whole processing he has to do. With coming to grips with with Dumbledore and 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 not feeling the bitterness of you've given me this task and now the more I get into it the le- the more I realize how little I have to work with mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, little which is I a didn't... wonderful kind of way that that story plays out it doesn't you know usually in the hero's journey you get your stuff you get your sword you get your steed you get your whatever and, and you, you get go information off, you do you get, get your information. information and you go off and you do you do your quest and you you battle the different things along the way but in this case the first thing that harry has to battle is i don't even have every piece of information i need i'm now, he ultimately does too. but think, you know that's the way he feels one thing we haven't considered is the distance i've always got the impression that maybe godrick's hollow was kind of far away how big is england though (laughs) i know but not not like a quick trip i don't know they are but when harry's younger you know we don't we don't see him do any slide along apparition until the sixth book with dumbledore they don't go anywhere like the only place they go outside of school is um well, Dumbledore Hogsmeade. never takes him outside of school until the sixth book anyway. That's what I'm right. saying. So we, right. we don't see anybody going anywhere. You only go on those day trips that the whole school goes on or you go home in the a holiday. The day trip is Hogsmeade, which is up the street. Or you go that's to, what or I'm, you That's go my to point. Oh. You don't go anywhere. Or you go we to don't even, But we don't even really... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is... We don't really see people going to do things like anything. Which is one of the faults of this world building, though. It's one Maybe. of the faults of world building. But uh, there is something, as I think we didn't mention, and I think this is something I think part of the grieving process Harry is dealing with, is that 
Dumbledore didn't intend to die at this time. I, no one would have expected Dumbledore to die at that time, right? Yeah, I think he thought so, he probably had some more time. So there's probably more yeah. time to give yeah. more information. Because, you know, you never got the sense that this was the end of the lesson, right? We always right. take this right. as the final lesson. But that was not the final lesson. No, I, I, agree, I agree with you. I, think, I don't think he thought he had a whole lot more time. Because Sorry. remember, Snape had told him um, approximately how much time he had. Right. So he knew he didn't have infinite he, amount of time. Yeah. They they said like maybe about a year. Right. Right. So I'm assuming that um which was just after the ministry battle. Right. Right. So I'm assuming that um oh, he, he felt like he had a few more months. Right. I could have had and probably would have had conversation with the three of them mm-hmm. in some respect. You know, right. tell them what they can do and whatever the case may be. But it would have been another situation, but this is like one of the things that I think that um, um, because Harry never asked, why are you telling me this? Is there a reason why you're telling me this? Can't you go? You know what I mean? Harry didn't realize that he was on borrowed time anyway. That the whole sixth, sixth year, they were on borrowed time. That one of the reasons why Dumbledore told him was because he was on borrowed time. And then we would later find out how Dumbledore loves to keep secret, which he is very good at. But anyway, let us not get too far ahead. Let's just do the last one, and then we can get into the real story. Because the opening chapter is Shakespearean, if nothing else. I mean, this is epic. Those Richard III, all this, King Lear, it is. I mean, when Voldemort, as you know, Tony Morrison said, evil always wears a top, top hat. And, Dumbledore, uh, and Voldemort loves to shuffle and loves to tap dance in front of us. So the second epigraph, death is but crossing the world. As friends do the seas, they live in one another still. For they must, need, for they must needs be present. That love and live in that which is omnipos- omnipresent. In this divine glass, they see face to face and their converse is free as well as pure. This is the comfort of friends that they may be said to die. Yet their friendship and society are in the best sense ever present because immortal. William Penn for Fruits of Solitude. More Fruits of Solitude, sorry. Now this is kind of Seemingly easier, but confusing, but it is this sort of a, it is basically saying, at least in my interpretation, that cannot stop love and life and friends from maintaining that, that those things continue into the afterlife. It speaks of the afterlife, mm-hmm. basically, which I think we would see. It's a literally afterlife. And I think that, as you can see from, from your reading them, how very different they are and how this one is more traditional in terms of what you would say um, as part of someone's grieving process, as part of um, what someone is and takes comfort from it when they've lost someone, that whole idea that, you know, no one is ever lost, love is never lost um, type thing. So it's so interesting to see the two of them side by side. Yeah. Because the book, because that, that's basically, you know, the book has both of those extremes. It has the deep love and affection, and it also has just 
out and out nasty, you know, war where people die. So. And the book is called The Deathly Hallows, which we are like, what the hell is a hallow? I know. I mean, now, <laughs> we're going back to our first part of the conversation. I remember because, you know, in those days, you would get an advance, like months, maybe even a year in advance what the title was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what? You know, we we kind of knew, it was kind of like, um, um, you know, the Order of the Phoenix. I think we had an idea. We had a night, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Well, okay. And then we hear this Deathly Hallows. And we're like, like what, is, what that? is that? What is that? We haven't heard one iota about this. So that was kind of, you know, like, oh. So that kind of contributed to the mystery of, you know, con- worrying about who was going to make it out of this book. Um, according to the dictionary, a hallow is an honor as holy, a saint, or holy person. I think, is it? Yes, so I think that's what it is. To make holy, sanctify, consecrate, to honor as holy, consider sacred, venerate, to hollow a battlefield. Mm-hmm. So we get into this seventh book. And here we are with an unusual title, Deathly Hallows. We have no idea what this means. Um, and unlike the other things, I think, we had some sense. The Sorcerer's Stone, that's the thing. And in fact, Philosopher's Stone, that is actually magical artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, we already know. People who read know what a Philosopher's Stone is because the alchemy is pretty famous magical lore. We had a Chamber of Secret. Well, we know that's some secret place. It's a magic book. Ooh, okay. Book three, Prisoner of Azkaban. Ooh, okay, someone escaped. It's a person. Um the Goblet of Fire, okay, it's a goblet on fire. The All of the Phoenix, okay. The Half-Blood Prince, ooh, okay. But this one is like, hmm. You know what I mean? This is very strange yeah. because it's a very strange way, in particular since everyone the ominous feeling of death. So people rush open the book and they open up and guess who we meet in chapter one? Mm. Voldemort. We meet Severus Snape first. Severus, Severus. and Yaxley. Yaxley. And Yaxley. And you know uh, we're, we're, we we meet Severus and we're we still mad with Severus, <laughs> even if those are, even if we've decided that there must be something more to what happened, we mad with Severus. Well, so we need that, to go wherever he's going. Be the first person that we see. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember being mad. <laughs> I I was I was mad. I was like thinking, this motherfucker. That I mean that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like. Mm-hmm. You know, you because you do kind of hold on to maybe something's going to happen. Maybe Dumbledore's not dead. Maybe Snape didn't really run off with the Death Eaters, blah, blah, blah. And then, boom, yep. this book we've been waiting for for all this time, it right is. at the beginning. And there's Snape with the Death Eaters going straight to Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And oh, this I was where, mad. This is where I knew for a fact that he could not have been evil. Bullshit. In my mind, I, no. I'm telling you why. I'm not. I'm not even joking about this because Snape is the very same way in here as he always is. You know, Voldemort is looking in his face. I know Voldemort is trying to read his mind. And when the woman is revolving, Snape isn't looking at him, just like, "Hmm, you're playing your part. You're playing a part in here." Mm-hmm. He's not comfortable. That's that's how I felt. I didn't. I mean, like, like I said. How this story would unfold, 
had no idea. I was not. Well, exactly it. what you're saying, though, is exactly why I thought he was evil. Evil. Because I, he is the same as we've always seen him. So I had I, no reason, unless you're, unless, unless you approach it the way that you did, you know, the reading between the lines. And I mean, we know I, I took everything at face value and I thought, well, here it's solidified. Here he is. Because I, he I, wasn't I, any I, different. I took that moment. First of all, can we just appreciate just the stylish way in which they roll up in there? Snape makes an entrance every time. Just oh, every yeah. time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, yeah. Snape, I just figured Snape would be like a Birkin bag, fox for fur. <laughs> like, you know, Snape is just like oozing money. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my was, gosh. Snape. Snape is just like, maybe just because I'm gay, I watch it. It's like, Snape is a bad bitch. Snape is well into the room, like, he's a bad bitch, right? This is, this is, no one, no one fucks with Snape. And clearly, because guess what? Snape comes in, and Voldemort said, sit next to me. And you know those other haters are they in that mad. room. You know they were hot with him. They were, you know they were jealous. Hot. You know, because because you know, um, Bellatrix is not the only one she who feels the, the way she does. I mean, that's kind of like the way they all feel about him, and she's they not, just cannot figure it out that he he can just slide up in there, and um, Voldemort is like so trusting of him. And that's why I was that's that's what because for me, Bellatrix wasn't at the front, wasn't at the head of the table. She wasn't at the top. She was no. down there. She was down there, and she was trying to. She was trying to get her shit together. And I knew that Dumb Voldemort didn't trust Snape because he was he was reading his mind. Yep. And he and I love the line when they say, you know, he and Snape looked calmly back into his face. Right. And after a moment or two, Voldemort's lipless mouth curved into something like a smile. Because he was looking at him and and reading his mind. So, you know, um, he once again, like you said, Snape is a bad mother. <laughs> you know what I, you know what, like, so, so we see this, this scene, right? And they're all jockeying for position and, and Voldemort, <laughs> Voldemort says, you know, Severus here. And when he is looking at him and you know that Voldemort's trying to read his mind, Clearly, he's never been successful at it. Otherwise, none of this works. Well, he thinks right. he's successful at it. Do you? Right. So that's what I was going to so ask. Voldemort thinks he's successful at it. Hold on. Let me ask my question. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you think that he looks at Snape and gets nothing or he gets what Snape wants him to have? He gets what Snape wants him to have. Well, right. Because remember, Snape, Snape says, right? You, we are imagining because Harry's a how we're thinking about occlumency and legitimate. We're thinking of it like how humans think about it, muggles think about it, reading the mind like it's a book. Right. Snape, Snape corrects Harry and say that's not what happens. It is the, we are trying to go. You get the feelings and the emotions, and you get these sort of pictures and images in whatever the case may be. And I think Snape may have removed the memories from his mind. Right. And put it someplace else, which is what I think might be the the thing, or there is a way of compartmentalizing whatever the case may be. Because Dumbledore, Voldemort, remember the, the thing about Voldemort is that he's very predictable, right? Mm -hmm. He looks for certain things and he's going a certain way. His approach is very blunt and very forceful on whatever the case may be. 
he isn't looking for things because I think you would see he doesn't understand. He didn't understand when Snape went to him and talked about love, about, you know, sparing his person. He didn't understand that at all. He was just like, go get another one. Right, like right. You about? just desire her. You know, she's not important. Yeah, right. go get a, go get something else. And plus, whew, she's a muggle. Get something but else. You know, I mean, but I I don't disagree with that at all. But we truly never know. Like we we know, so we're gonna find out, especially in this book, that Snape has put memories away. We know from Harry getting the memory from Slughorn that he put in you know memories away. There was also an altered memory. So it seems like if you remove those memories and you. I, I don't know. We don't really know how it works. So just because well, well, you take, well, just because you take, on give Dumbledore a memory. That I know, modified. but but just because you take the memory out of your head and put it in the pensive or put it in the bottle, mm-hmm. I don't think that means that it isn't in your head still. That's a way to preserve things. That doesn't mean that you take it out and it's gone and that the holder of the memory, the person who it belongs to, doesn't have any recollection of it just because they have saved it. That's what I mean. So even though Snape has taken this stuff out of his head and preserved it in a sense, well, he in all of it, he hasn't because... He doesn't do that most important memory, and he has that memory, and he takes it right before he dies, and he has it. I think think the Occlumens is creating a a scene in your mind that the person sees. It's plausible, That you want them to see. Right, but you also have to be... It's more like putting up a a screen with with a picture on it. And that's what they see when they look in your when when the legilimens looks in your mind. But you have to also be skilled enough, yes, and strong yeah. enough, yes. that they only get what you that's want as them far to have. They, right? And, and, as far and remember, as they he get. can read. And remember, remember Snape. Remember Snape said you can read their emotions. Right. So Snape has to block that out. So I imagine, and plus Snape is Snape, right? I mean, they think Snape is poor and all this kind of attitude and whatever. It's a classist issue coming up here. So I imagine, and remember that what Voldemort is looking for is, have you betrayed me? Those kind of like stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. So I think how he's going to think, and remember Snape says, and I know this kill Bellatrix um, from the source we discuss. Oh, you know. Once they're talking in codes among themselves, yeah. that is sending heat. She's like, why you got secrets? They're sending heat down there because we've already established that from book six, right? Oh, that right. I'll discuss that with you? Oh, You know what? What else was the a piece before all of that even happens in the beginning when we find out <laughs> that Lucius Malfoy's, uh, well, first addressed as a peacock. Is that not fitting? Like the way that he struts in through this entire series, and then we find out later. So when when Snape and Yaxley get to the house, there's mention of the peacock, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then later we'll see his Patronus. I think we do somewhere else. No, As we don't. I think we do. We don't see it again. I think Who's it happens Patronus? twice. Lucius's is a peacock. No, the peacock is a real peacock. 
But Lucius's, Lucius Malfoy's Patronus is a peacock. I'm almost positive. Luci- Lucius doesn't have a, because Lucius doesn't have a wand. So where did we see it at? Do you remember the stub? You're making no, I don't up. remember seeing That's his, the fake his book, Patronus. It's not out of the fake book. It's a fake book. Deb, Deb, let's leave Janine. I don't out. remember seeing Lucius's Patronus. Because Lucius doesn't have a wand anymore. Remember? Right. Um, he doesn't know. have a wand. But I think... I, but I it, may, that... may, it may very well be a peacock. It's an albino peacock. Huh? It's in this book. It's in t- chapter 23. Y'all making me think I'm crazy. See? So this, they get there... Because Yaxley says, okay, so wait. The yew hedges muffled the sound of the men's footsteps. There was a rustle somewhere to their right. Yaxley drew his wand again, pointing it over his companion's head. But the source of the noise proved to be nothing more than a pure white peacock strutting majestically along the top of the hedge. He always did himself well, Lucius. Peacocks. Yaxley thrust his wand back under his cloak with a snort. So his Patronus is outside the house. Like That's Patronus. Not a Patronus. Yeah, I think it may well be. It is. And then I'm going to go ahead and jump because uh, I don't know. So that's the first mention that we hear of it. And then there's something, I thought there was even something in the house that about a peacock inside, because this is outside um, when Snape and Yaxley are getting up there. And then there's mention later in chapter, in Malfoy Manor, here we are. We see... Okay, I just googled it. Google, uh, googled as <laughs> I automated. Many have argued that this peacock was in fact Lucius Malfoy's Patronus. No, this is something I didn't know was true, but it's making no goddamn sense. It was thought that this proved Lucius was in fact not a true Death Eater, as Death Eaters cannot produce Patronuses. I don't know why someone think I make anything, but that's stupid. Despite this, J.K. Rowling confirmed in an interview that this was merely an albino peacock. Albino no, peacock. we are not doing that interview crap. <laughs> I'm only going by the written text. I hate that. Okay, the written text. I took this as an albino peacock. But let me hear you in chapter 23 because well, I, I know he doesn't. So, so discuss it while I look for it. Well, I just I think that the whole that whole scene is to give you the sense that everything about Lucius um, is about about strutting and, and over about, the top, and, right? And over the top, and about you know just ostentatious, and everything is about just showing off actually, but with very little substance because we see how quickly he is brought to heal, um, and I think well, that that's what brought- that serves to do, yeah. Well, he's, he's already brought, brought the inhaled the hair already because that's what Yaxley said. He right. always did himself. Right. right. I think Yaxley used the past tense. And like this is what's left of when he was in his heyday. Right. You know, things like like uh, albino pe- uh, peacocks. So when they get inside, now they're in Malfoy Manor. And we talked about, you know, Snape sitting at the right hand. And this whole discussion back and forth as to the plans to how they're going to move Harry. And this is so interesting because this, you know, we find out later that this was 
this was so carefully planned out that Snape would give this information and count and counter other information and he would be proven to be right. And how important it was that he be seen as the, 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 the particularly this early on, right after he has been, you know, totally reunited, um, that his information is the information that, that Voldemort acts on and winds up being correct. But Janina, okay, I look forward to that bit. But this scene was really, um, and here was, this scene was really revealing because much of the, um, like that first scene in, um, where were we in Spinner's End, we see that politics come up again when Nathan is just jockeying for position. How much the, the, the Lestrange and the Malfoys are no longer in position because right. because Snape tells her, does he still right after the fiasco at the ministry? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and, right. And all of that business, we know that the the Bellatrix and um and people keep forgetting Bellatrix last name is Bellatrix Black. Okay, right. Lestrange right. is her married name. She's part name. of the black family. She's part and of the she black and family. Both, yes. Uh, sisters, right? And people keep thinking that. So Bellatrix has a husband who you rarely ever hear about, Rodolphe right. Lestrange, right. who went to school with 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 um, Dumbledore, with um Voldemort. Voldemort. Mm-hmm. They were in school together. They were in that pensive um, memory with Slughorn. They're about the same age. Uh, but he might be older than Voldemort because I think I think Harry said that Voldemort was the youngest in the room. But we see that whole jock in her position and we find out some rather interesting information. We find out Lupin and Tonks are married. We find out that, you know, they're attempting to take over the ministry. We find out that the the muggle um muggle study, the the witch charity barbage, who's the muggle study teacher is hanging above the table and everyone keeps pretending like this isn't a woman above this exactly <laughs> well and then and, the, you know i love that whole scene when he tells lucius just give me your wand and we've we spent we've spent six books talking about the importance of the wand to the person um and how it's almost like an appendage and it's like basically he's basically telling lucius just like I took Wormtail's hand, give me a wand. <laughs> you know? right. Just give it here. Get here. But you so, know, she she said, J.K. Rowling says something. Um, Malfoy, <laughs> Malfoy, Lucius acted as though Dumbledore had asked him for his hand. And I was just like, Voldemort had asked him for his hand. And as I was, he surprised. I'm just like, um, Wormtail just exited the room. He lost his hand, so right. It's not an unusual thing for Voldemort to be making these kind of very um, onerous um, requests, onerous re- requests. He'd be asking for a lot, and yeah. I'm sitting down there looking at like, why are you people surprised? That was the thing that annoyed me about this chapter the most is that J.K. Rowling here is trying to find some sort of a um, out, uh, a sympathetic line to draw for the Malfoys. And I'm like, I'm sorry. See, I don't I give don't a shit about that, this. I don't see it sympathetic. I see that they are syncophants. And that they, it shows, it, she really has shown how they have just 
lorded over everybody and strutted through all of these books. And now at the 11th hour, they are scrambling. To, he's scrambling to hold on to his wand. And that, um, you know, he's like, look, I got, your, I got your freedom. What else you want? I don't think it's to make us have sympathy for him. It's like you went in here, for, you were so power hungry and you wanted to be alongside of this man. You threw your lot in with him. You did his bidding and you, you just, you know, you're just a weakling begging for crumbs at this stage. He's in your house. You see, he said, you know, I'm, you know, like he really, if you, if you're not acting like you're super glad that he's in your house, bringing dead people, well, hanging, hanging people up over your dining room table. It's like, why aren't you happy? So, I don't think that's made, we're supposed to feel sympathy for No, Lucia. because I think we're supposed to feel like, what a fool. <laughs> I agree. Well, like, you I better get I, it together now. Because, because my thing was that I, I think what it is for me, I read this as being now these people are looking to be like, oh my God, this man is crazy. What? Like, like, like who's got, crazy? Like, Voldemort is crazy. Oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. And well, they know like, Voldemort is. I don't know if it's, it's it. He's power uh, he's, hungry. Uh, he's doing too much uh, in, in some respect. He's, this he's seems to be having extra. <laughs> but I'm Listen, just like, he's flexing his muscles. Is what he's doing. He's flexing his muscles extra. of power. Look, yeah, because he wants everybody to know that honestly, no matter what I tell you, I don't give a fuck about you, and you are disposable, and don't piss me off. I think that's what he's constantly well, doing he's because. Obvious. He'll kill any one of them in any given moment and not think twice about it. Well, and they right. know that, which they is why they that. cower. That's right. They never know when he's just going to get a, a, a case of peak. And he's just going to just, you know, Avada Kedavra. And you're just gone. They so, hang on every word, every right. word, because they don't know when that mood is going to switch. When is he when is he going to turn on me? Like at this moment, he just dogs the entire Malfoy family and blacks, really. And nobody better dare say anything. But you know what everybody else better do? You better laugh at my jokes. And when I'm done, you better stop. And when he says that's enough, everybody, boom, done. I mean, he's crazy. He is crazy, but he's a power hungry, um, manipulative, egotistical, if he even has an ego, you know, just mean, evil, selfish, self-centered piece of shit. Right. I'm just like, this is what y'all signed up for, boo. This is it. Oh, yeah, this it is. is. It. That's why I don't think it's designed to make us feel any sympathy for them because it. We all, we've seen them throughout. We've seen him bribing people. We've mm -hmm. seen him doing everything, riding high. And now he is scrambling and he, nobody can, wants to make eye contact because they know Voldemort will, will tell them, will read their thoughts. And they're all looking aside. They're darting, eyes darting. I can just imagine after oh, yeah. you have been, you walked around and you have just, I, um, this is, of course, this is the movie image of, of Lucia. Snap that cape. You have walked around. Right, like right. And now you can barely keep your head above, you know, look your head uh, straight because Voldemort is through with you. He looked at your, um, he read your thoughts and you don't want him in there. It's yeah. obvious. You wish they would all go away, but you still want to be connected to the power. And yep. this is where, um, when, when you realize that 
um, this house is the from the black side of the family because that's when um, uh, Bellatrix says, "My lord, oh, it's an honor to have you here in our family's house." So this they call it Malfoy's Manor, but obviously this house has come through the black line mm-hmm. through Narcissa. I remember that I, I had a note in my head to tell you that, that I remember we had discussed in the past yeah. that you kept saying that I think the money belongs to Narcissa and not right. Malfoy. Right. And I said, this might be the line where it, it suggests that. But for me, I, I would say that this, when I read this recently, I was just like, oh, this is how White House meetings are like now, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> They're exactly that way. I just They're like exactly this is it. that way, and everybody's and I, trying to jockey for position and um, throw each other under the bus and be more extra than the person before them, and to come back. Oh yeah, this is exactly what we're living through right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, for me, I was like, no, you people. Uh, the reason why I said Jokey is trying to get some line in there about sympathy, it's because of how these people, how we see these people in the end, right? That it's very clear that these people they lost their position of power because Voldemort says it's not not it's just not the very thing that y'all said y'all wanted. Yeah. But here's the thing that mm-hmm. he, he doesn't say here, but which we know as a reader, they had fucked up. He destroyed oh, the diary. Yeah. He fucked up in the Ministry of Magic, and then they had right. and then he got captured. And well, was, and you he know he's captured. he's and really Voldemort. Voldemort is really baiting Narcissa. And Lucius here. He yeah. keeps pulling Draco into the conversation. Like, listen, let him screw up because he's gone, because he's already screwed up. I don't, you know, when he asks, um, well, first, what's he say? He asked Draco, are you going to babysit the Cubs? And then he tells them they got to clean up their family tree and we all have to do this, blah, blah, blah. But then later again, when he finally, finally acknowledged that there's this person hanging over the table, just levitating, asked Draco, do you know who this is? Oh, well, of course you wouldn't know because you wouldn't have taken this class. But I think the, the reason he keeps speaking directly to Draco is to let Narcissa... And Malfoy, no, I will get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Well, also, Draco failed in his task. Right. I mean, and the re- only reason Draco is still allowed to walk upright is because the task was done. The task and, was done. You know, the and task same. was done, but even though he didn't do it, but the task did get done. But I don't think, I think Voldemort is like, yeah, but you didn't do it. But okay, I'll let you live because it did get done. They probably but- beg for him. Yeah, yeah. But I think that the whole idea of um, Lucius and and that whole family is just like, you know, it's just how he's playing with his food, so to speak. The same totally way he's doing with, with um, the, the same way he's doing with this with this poor woman, Charity ba- um, um, Burbage, because he's because just Bellatrix almost was crying. Oh, that's like. <laughs> Bella, yes, she's just, and like, she's trying. Look, she's trying to make sure that she's not lumped in with them through family association. She doesn't right. care, you know, like because she's already pointed out in the previous book. Hey, Lucius was given one thing to do, and he didn't do that. So she, <laughs> she's not. It's not like a you had one employee. job. You had one job, and you went in there, and, and Snape is reminding you, yeah, you went in there with five or six teenagers. So you know. <laughs> 
Lucius has nowhere else to turn, but he he really wishes that Voldemort would take his ass out of there. Well, she got in trouble though because she got in trouble because um, Voldemort told her that he just like I'll deal with you later. I ain't coming here for hear your apologies, girl. Right, right. <laughs> so, right. how much? Okay, so where did your head go at the end of this chapter? After she's been acknowledged, she gets you know she's kind of woken up, right? She looks at Severus and here we have it again Severus, Severus please mm-hmm. and then boom yes. another person yeah. dead see that for me was just another layer of the evil Severus cake Mm-mm, he couldn't do anything <laughs> but he but was I nothing think, he yeah, could I do think, but I do think that, that was that was a red herring I do think that was legitimately that was deliberately put there mm-hmm. to keep that mystery going yep. about Severus. About Se- know, it I, was deliberately the, the same words. And to remind us of Dumbledore. I didn't read that keep, at all. Keep that wonder in your head about him. You didn't, real? Uh, as you are saying it now, I just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I just like, ain't sure he could do in there. And secondly, and more importantly for me, I don't know who this woman is. And I'm just studies like, teacher. But I'm just like, am I supposed to have some kind of sympathy for? A, I mean, like, it's a woman she's killed for no apparent reason other than writing this thing. But what I thought was most interesting was the thing that she was saying in the thing, which Voldemort did not want to acknowledge, was the fact that these people were dying out, that they weren't having children because Lucius is older than Severus, right? Lucius is like five or six years old, five to seven years older than Snape, right? And he has a child who's the same hair as, as, as Harry, who is Harry and Snape. And Snape don't have any children. Ain't nobody got to That these people are not having children. Right. And Harry and Harry and, and I mean, the James and Lily were young. Well, they young. were they were young. They were very young because they were they weren't long out of Hogwarts before they married and had Harry. And everybody so just were... keeps having one child for the most yeah. part. Yeah, right. And right. I was just like. No wonder, yeah, then she makes a fair point. There's only one magical village in this place. You people don't seem to be having like most of the people that, um, I think, um, Neville is an only child, as far as I can tell. Yeah, the Malfoys could have been breeding like rabbits, really. Right, Bellatrix don't have any children, none of the other lot, and they seem to have children except Crab and Goyle. It's like, I, I don't know who Pocky Like Right, seems. they don't have brothers and sisters. and Yeah, you know. they don't, nobody in there. The, <laughs> the creepy brothers were muggles. Um, Dean family is muggle. Um, Seamus seems to be an only child. Just like, no, and the Pavati twins, that's it. Hannah Abbott seems to be a child, only child. Like, everybody in this place, the only Ron seems to have most, more. Well, we have the, the creepy But they're, they're muggles. They're muggles. Oh, that's Colin, right. Colin yeah. and Dennis Creepy. Yeah. And with the Weasleys, the, one of the major prop points that everybody seemed to be pointing to was the fact that they had too many children. That right. was one of the issues, right. that they had so many children. And I was just like, okay. So why y'all matter charity here who I've never met before? Not even Hermione mentioned who the teacher was. And that's what I was so surprised at. Yeah, it was weird. It was a new person for us. Name yeah, anyway. he did take Muggle she was a new person, right? I was gonna say we did we didn't hear her name, but we did hear that there was Muggle. We know that there's Muggle studies, and we know that there's a Muggle studies teacher. Yes. So Hermione took the class because remember they thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. But um, so it's not like she's totally brand new, but 
yeah, I get what you're saying. So to me, I, I thought it was like, wow, this is kind of an interesting. Well, I, I and it, it's more... it's almost um, it's almost just another example of you know inconsequential death of, of at the hands of Voldemort. He don't care. No, but he, he just has kills. A, but he has a plan, right? Because at the beginning of book six, we didn't have book six begin with deaths again, right? We talked yeah, about yeah, yeah. bones, whatever. But these people were very. It's very strategic in what's happening here. Well, and this that's is what too. I thought was, this is, right, this is what I'm saying. That to me, I just read it more so as one of these strategic things. That he was looking at a much larger plan. I think right? he is. But I think it's supposed to also for the, for the reader. Because although we've not heard about a Muggle Studies teacher in a long time. Um, we Like Deb just said, we don't know her name. Um so it's not a very significant person in terms of the plot. So I think that it is also... significant to the plot. No, oh, no, her death I mean, the her herself. death. Yes. The person okay. herself. We don't, you know, she's not okay. there. She's not a character that we've grown to know or like or dislike. So I think in that regard, it's just another example of Voldemort just killing Even I, though it makes sense in the bigger picture, to us, it's not a significant person other than you're just trying to kill some. It's another example of, oh, you don't like muggles or you, you, you're you a muggle lover, so to speak. Okay, we're going to get rid of you because we know that this is his thought process. And now that he's essentially in control of Hogwarts via Snape or no, Snape's not there at the moment, but we know that he's got people in the school. Um we can't have we can't have pro muggles, right? So people in the school well, and well, people I, I in think the ministry. That, that's what I took that to be. That I think it's he, all of it. No, no, no. I, I I took it to that's the only thing I got away from this scene. That scene in the end there, that it was linking to where he was going, right? He was going towards this wiping out the muggles in the magical world. But I was just like, this is kind of stupid because, first of all, but we know where I, I know where you came from. You mm. tell them, right? I know where <laughs> you came from. And I, it's just like it just when when she mentioned when they when they read the article, when he quoted the article, I was like, but where's the lie? That was really the thing, right? And here you are about to go do something stupid. But I always think that he was on some other. He was on some other kind of a trip. And these just things just seem like things he's done right. This was more for his base, if, if I tend to use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that yes. This, oh, God. Yes. You're right. It was. Because it he was. has, when we see him by himself, he's not thinking about this, this nonsense, right? And that's not to say he didn't hold these sentiments, right? Because I hate when people say, oh, Trump isn't racist. He's just using the political point. The motherfucker's racist, okay? He definitely hated muggles. And we, and we know why he hated muggles. Mm -hmm. But right. this was, was all... A <laughs> this was personal. Because he literally went and fought. He fought Suzanne Bones. And he didn't, he didn't bring her in front of the... Because he, 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 she, was, she was kicking his ass too, right? Because Dumbledore said that, right? She put up a hell of a fight. And um, the same thing for um, Emmeline Vance. He went for those people personally. But for mm -hmm. this one, he wanted a show here. And I think this was the move with the, um, with, with the grandeur because they're about to take over the ministry. By getting rid of Suzanne Bones, 
that was the first thing they had to do. She was in charge of magical law enforcement. So that's what they had to do. Um, but this was sort of, a, um, but I, it was very, but I, I can't even say this is callous because we've seen him kill people in front of us. He killed that man, um, Frank Bryce. So to he me, it was just like, he's, yep. he's been, you know, but we do get this sense that he's just like, you're in my way. Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, like, just this casualness in which she just sort of like, but I was just like, because she wrote an op-ed, boo, you went after this woman? I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sir. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also it was also once again an um an opportunity to show his people that I am in charge. And even though this woman is, you know, you may not consider yourself to be from this woman's lineage or have her perspective, I will get rid of anybody um just as easily as I get rid of her. Because yeah. anytime I will bring you bring somebody oh hang them over the dining room table. You know I don't care. Yep. And have Nagini eat her in the end. Exactly. Nagini lunch. Dinner, sorry. Dinner. Dinner, <laughs> Nagini. Reading that was kind of cold. It was just like... Ooh. it was, But it was in keeping with him. You know, it was, it was in keeping with his character. So I thought like, whoa, that's rough, but that's Voldemort. Yeah, for sure. Yes, because he did promise, he did promise Harry to Nagini. It was just like you'll have the body afterwards. Mm-hmm. So we get into after this scene. Janine, let's say we should stop at this point. So okay. we've been on for cause yeah, we've because yeah, because I think one. I think the next chapter is dealing with the obituary about yeah. Dumbledore, and yeah. we need time for that. We need to dig in. <laughs> we need to dig in that, even though there's a lot of it that's going to be proven not to be. The whole right. story. I, I remember. Really yeah, because this it. this invokes it invokes so know, much emotion. True. It does. It is true. for me. No, no, no. I don't know if it's true that it's not the whole. It's definitely not the whole story. The obituary yeah. is not. But in many ways, this book, I'm just like y'all out here doing Dumbledore dirty, and y'all out here do Lupin dirty. Oh, Lupin, Remus, James Lupin. Oh. <laughs> I know I, he's my favorite. I, I, I would he's nev- my favorite. I would never forgive J.K. Rowling for Lupin. Never, 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 never. I, w- I will note that grudge. Never. I, I will. I will too. I, I will can't too. wait to talk about this because, yeah, we'll. I mean, we'll get there. We don't. We don't I just do this now, but yeah, I have. I have some thoughts. Mm, I and Devin and I would be thoughts. right, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your little thoughts. <laughs> oh my goodness! You well, like, you were not this way, Devin. <laughs> you just can't. But, I'm telling you. But I think that the groundwork, you know, we we've laid the groundwork for um tackling this and um, recognizing that there's so much density in this book. It's as dense as these forests that they find themselves in, and that we just have to take the time to pick it apart. Well, so I think this. I think the book- I just want to add this bit about this first chapter in somewhat ways. It's it's not unlike some of the, it is like chapters we've met in book four, which book four the first chapter ended in a death, and Voldemort committing that murder. But this is sort of like speaks towards um, things that was happening in book five with the politics, and here we see this sort of political sphere here because Voldemort is saying, "You will have time. We must do this." We must get rid of these bad elements in our family. 
and Bellatrix saying, you know, like, oh, yes, I don't know that brat, my niece, and all of this business. And that this other commitment that you have to be, I guess in some ways we are seeing the, how, the, how the team meetings happen <laughs> in Team Voldemort, right? We discuss death and mayhem and madness, basically. And a very interesting point is mentioned here, sort of like, oh, how Voldemort feels about werewolves. He doesn't like them. They don't consider them human, but yet they're part of his squad. But he uses them. Yeah, he that's right. Them. Yes, yes. Well, he'll use anything. Right, yeah. but it, it many. But I do want to. Um, it's Fenrir Greyback. I do have this question: Is he a wizard who became a witch, a, a werewolf, or he's just a werewolf? I don't think we know. I don't think we know. I'm assuming he's just a werewolf. Um, but I don't think we know. We don't know his origin. Yeah, we don't. So you know, do we know of any werewolves though that were just born? Don't you have to be bitten? I think you have to be bitten. So we don't, but we don't know whether he, we don't know pure, if he was a wizard there or a is muggle. A pure, well, was he a was he a muggle that was bitten, or was he you know? But so we don't know, right? Um, what his status was before he was became a werewolf. We know he has just fully embraced it. So yeah, interesting. But mm-hmm. well, I just want to say that. If y'all think we went slow through book six, <laughs> just settle Get in. your walking shoes on. <laughs> just We're settle just in. Chapter one. <laughs> it's going to be no, a long, just, slow we ride. Epigram. We did the epigram. <laughs> right. right. And, and, and here is the epigram coming through, right? Here is a death, you know, right. that seemed to be who will avenge this woman. And do we know what happens? And it's just thing I didn't know just like but we don't even know if this woman missed anyone. Anyone missed her? She lost someone. J.K. Rowling, you did a sloppy job here, girl. I think sloppy. at some point, right when Harry's looking through the paper, he sees an announcement or of her he's resignation. Announce that, yeah, we would know that she disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, but later we as a reader, we can't feel anything other than, oh, poor woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, oops. For you, lady. But, but but you feel like you know like somebody who just wandered into um wandered across a monster and right. that's that's just you know what happened to them you feel the empathy for just somebody being at the wrong place at the wrong time type thing and mm-hmm. get eaten by Nagini girl that is ooh. Jesus yum yum <laughs> okay <laughs> the movies make Nagini seem to be like a, 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 a um a pet. Like a, a um bull constrictor. Yeah, I think in the from. I think it's much bigger. In the movie, in the book, Nagini is as fat as a man's thigh. Right. Okay? Like yeah. she, she because to swallow someone whole. Like right, like right. So in the book Nagini is much more uh, big and fearful and vicious and yeah, for sure. Even everybody around is red and Nagini. Correct. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, guys. Mischief managed. Bye-bye. Bye.